Good morning, church. No, no, no. I said, good morning, church. Yes. Should be louder than first hour. There's a lot more people in here today. Hey, I'm excited to be able to share today. As Pastor Ben said, my name is Steve Warner, and I'm the youth pastor here at Grace Point. I, I have the distinct pleasure and blessing of being able to serve with students. And um, he, he actually, in first hour, said something about how, uh, you know, when you see 19, 20-year-olds around, give them a little bit of grace. You were 19 or 20 one time. Uh, if you see students around that I work with, you were 15, you were 14 at one time. So show them love uh, when you see them around the church, that kind of thing. Um, today, uh, we are continuing our series from here to there. And the last few weeks you heard uh, from Pastor Steve and Pastor Aaron as they discussed what it looks like to work through uh, times of challenge in our lives, what it looks like to work through this, um, this, I, this understanding of, of how we live and how we operate and how we get from a place of maybe being far from God or never, you know, really even attending church or maybe going to church your whole life like the, this, this student that, that Ben talked about and, and, and maybe at some point finally giving your life to Christ. Whatever that looks like, wherever you are in the process from getting from here to there, which is, a, is, is a, a radical and real relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today I had the distinct pleasure of starting like the second leg of this journey. The first one was about some of the storms. This one is going to continue with, with some of the, the same themes, the storms, this idea of living in a place where there may be difficulty in our life, but it also transitions to the beginning, the start, this, this, this root of all things, this, this, this root of, of how God can get to each one of us. The first church that I served at um, was, was a good experience for me, a good learning experience for me. In 2005, I graduated uh, from, from Indiana Wesley with my bachelor's degree in youth ministry, and um, immediately, obviously, I just got my degree. I knew everything, right? So at least that's what I thought. And that, that was a huge month. Uh, the month of May, I, I got married to my now wife, Cherie. Uh, she's over there. She can wave. She's smiling and shaking her head. Oh, there's a wave. Um, we graduated, and then also we moved uh, to, this, uh, to this new town, to this new church to serve. And in this situation, in this month, a lot of things changed in my life. A lot of things changed in our life. At this point, I was like, I was like now the guy. Before that, I, I was a volunteer, or I was an assistant, or I was a helper. But at this point, I, I was, I was going to be able to step in. And the pastor had been there for a long time, the senior pastor, so I was able to step under his leadership. And to me, I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to be able to have some longevity, to be able to pour into the lives of students and this church, and, and be a real advocate for what God wants to do here. And a few weeks into being there, the senior pastor tells me, after being there for 15 years, I'm feeling a call to vocational missions, and I'm going to be leaving and going to the mission field in a year. And throughout the course of the year, I'll be trying to find a replacement and, and, and somebody to step into my shoes here to be able to serve the next leg of what we're going to do here at this church. And during that time of uncertainty, that year, candidates came and, and candidates went, and finally they settled on, on one specific individual, and he became affirmed by the board and was brought in and became the pastor of the church, and immediately I began to tell him what we were going to do, right? That was a joke, just so you know. <laughs> You're going to get used to me a little bit, I think. And at that point, I realized that, that our, 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 our ideals were not the same. I realized that, that our heads were going to butt, so to speak, on a lot of different things because I was young and idealistic and I thought I knew everything and I thought I had all the answers. And, and at the same time, he had a vision for what God was doing uh, at the church and where we were going to go. And from all of that, I realized that my time was short and whether I was going to make the decision or whether he was going to make the decision because I didn't really have, uh, the, I, I really couldn't submit to his leadership or respect his leadership. At that point, I knew that things were going to conclude. 
And as I look back on that 13 years ago, I can't help but realize that the decisions that I made on that day have drastically affected my life even to the moments that I live this morning. Today we're going to talk about what it means, what, what, what happens, what decisions we make, and how those decisions can radically affect us and where that comes from. The place to start with a life that is ordered right in the Lord is the place of our hearts because God knows, just like you know, that actions aren't enough, that words aren't enough. In fact, the important thing to note is everything we do, everything we say, our being is all an outpouring of where our heart lies and who is on the throne of our hearts. Isaiah 29, 13, it'll be on the screen behind me, you can follow along, says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart, <coughs> excuse me, their hearts are far from me. And they worship me, their worship of me is made up of rules taught by men. And this passage for, for the Israelites, but also uh, is, is, is good for us today, is the fact that we need to realize that our hearts are the outpouring. Our hearts are the reason. That is what God wants. Matter of fact, our big thought for the day is this. And if you're following along in your note guides, the big thought is God wants the heart. God wants the heart because he knows that if he has your heart, everything else is a consequence of that, a positive consequence of that. Everything that you do, every relationship you have, every, every, in, every interaction you have with people, every decision you make, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you spend your energy, all of those things are going to reflect God if God has your heart, if God sits on the throne of your heart. Now, many people in this room have probably at some point asked God to be their savior, Right? Ask God to be our Savior. But the second step for that, that hard transition to make in a lot of cases for a lot of people is that step of saying, okay, God, now you can be Lord of my life. Now, sometimes that's, that, that happens together at the same time. Sometimes there's a process of understanding and learning. But this, this process of going from just Savior to being Lord and Savior is a difficult one because at that point is when we allow God to sit on the throne of our hearts. Now, don't get this backwards. It's not about rules, now, not about doing things. Yesterday, uh, Grace Point hosted a, a partnership and a, and a service time where we went out and with, the, with the, uh, the, the, the banner of Love Out Loud and we served our community and we served alongside our community being the tangible hands and feet in Jesus. But the thing about that is it's not important. Those things don't even matter if they aren't from a heart of service and a heart that has God on the throne, that loves Jesus and wants to reveal him, proclaim his truth. Our actions are nothing without submission to God. So here's the subsequent question. How do we have the right heart before God? How do we have the right heart before the Lord? Today we're going to look at the life of David. King David in the Old Testament is mentioned more and written about more than any other character, any other historical account of anybody else. And he's got some interesting statistics, some interesting things that God has done in his life. I don't know if any of you watched uh, the, uh, the Browns Super Bowl yesterday or over the weekend or what I call the Browns Super Bowl, which is actually the NFL draft. If you watch the NFL draft, there's, there's tons of different uh, players getting drafted. And every time somebody came up, it would have like their name and it would have their position and what they, where they went to school. And then it had some like other like total random facts, like this guy likes to eat pineapple and he has like 50 pairs of shoes, just some random things that went about that. David is no different. David has some very interesting and peculiar statistics that would be dubbed to his life. There's some really interesting things that happen in his life, some things that, that happen because of his, his disobedience to God, and some things that people would look at and kind of maybe shake their head and say, why would you do that? Because of his obedience to God. 
David was nothing more than a shepherd boy when he was anointed by Samuel to be the king of Judah. And then from that moment, he went on to defeat the Philistine giant Goliath. A story that many of us look at and, and, and we, we revere and we, and we lift up David for his courage. And from that moment on, David's legacy grew and his popularity in Israel among the Israelites was huge and, and everybody was, was, was praising his name. And, and from that, the, the current King Samuel had an issue. Or Saul, excuse me. The current King Saul had an issue. And it was David is becoming more popular than me. David is kind of getting, you know, all the press. It's supposed to be about me. And because of that, he decided he was going to try to kill David. And David's response The only response that he really had was to flee to the desert. He realized what his plight would be if he stayed in that place, that he would die, and so he fleed to the desert. And the awesome thing about that action of fleeing to the desert is those are the moments when he was shaped by God. Those moments in the desert, that unplanned time in the desert, is when David truly meets God. Many of the the Psalms that we read that David wrote were written out of honesty and struggle in the desert. Many of the things, the principles that David took as he became king were a result of the time that he spent with God in the desert. Over the last few weeks, Steve, Pastor Steve and Pastor Aaron have been talking about being between a rock and a hard place, dealing with struggles in our lives. And Aaron even talked about and mentioned this this exact thing, and I don't have the exact quote here, but this is the, the principle of it. He said, at times we find ourselves in the storms of life and we wish them away or we ask God to relieve them, relieve them or relieve us of them. And without realizing it, those are the very moments that God wants to use to transform us. Those are the very moments that he can use to transform us because it's in those moments when we cry out to him in honesty where we, so to speak, hit rock bottom, where we say, okay, God, now I need you more than ever. I lost my job, or I don't know what to do here, or, or I'm having issues with my, with my spouse or my kids, or for kids, maybe your parents. And these are the moments when we learn the most. Working with the students, I get to do college visits Every once in a while, a couple weeks ago, we took a group of students to Indiana Wesleyan for a fusion conference and a college visit. And also, I'm getting my master's right now through Wesley Seminary, and so I get to be on campus from time to time. And in January, I was there. And I was talking to one of the youth ministry professors, and he asked me to come to his class and share a few words about real-life experience in ministry. And I was excited to do so, and so I went, and he said, I'm just going to kind of interview you. I'll ask some questions, and you can kind of share your thoughts. And, and so he asked me uh, the first question, and from then on, he didn't talk the rest of the time. He, he almost realized, oh, I shouldn't have given you uh, the platform to be able to share some of the thoughts that you had, because I, I wanted these students to know what they were walking into. And part of that is a result of a conversation that I had just before I went into class. I was was talking to a student that was a senior that year, and she was going into ministry. And she was going to be graduating that spring. And from that moment, she knew she was going to be joining a a church where she was going to be doing a residency and probably going to get hired there. And she had her whole future mapped out before her. And it was almost like I had, almost, it was like I was on a sitcom where I I, I went into this this thing where, like, you know, the the, the screen kind of goes blurry and I start to think and have this flashback because she said this phrase that I'm sure that you've said and I'm sure you've heard and I've said and heard both as well. And that was this, I just want to be in the center of God's will. 
And that's an amazing place to be. But all I could think about when she said that, being in the center of God's will, was I flash back to the moments, the, the, those moments when I, when I went to that first church and I wanted to be there and I wanted to serve as a youth pastor. I was so excited, but it ended abruptly and I had to go somewhere else and I, and I went to another church and I was serving part-time and I was trying to support my wife at the same time and, and, I, and I, was, I, was, I was hoping that it was gonna be full-time and I didn't know how long that was gonna last and I went to another church where I was a volunteer and I was working another job full time and I, and I was serving there and I was thinking to myself the whole time, like I, 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 wanna, I really wanna serve, I, re- I don't know what to do. And then I, I went to another church and I served there for seven years wearing many different hats other than just youth ministry. Uh, and then I felt called here and I look back and I think about all those different things. And I think about all the unplanned deserts that I walked through. And all I can hear her say through those blurry kind of fuzzy things on the front of the screens of special effects is, I just want to be in the center of God's will. Church, the center of God's will is not always easy. The center of God's will is not always planned. It's difficult, and it's real, and it's messy. No one plans for the desert. David didn't plan to go to the desert. The Israelites, Moses didn't plan to wander through the desert for 40 years. But as a result, they came through on the other side stronger. The next point is a heart for God is often developed in the furnace of the desert. A heart for God is often developed in the furnace of the desert. This is kind of sending Sunday for Oasis because they're going to be graduating. Many of them are going to be leaving for the summer and some of them are going to be leaving for, for, because they're graduating for good. And they're going to be, we're, we're ascending church in that way. Pastor Ben has them for four years. And, and in many cases, they get to go and be doctors and teachers and, 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 and business people elsewhere. But at the same time, they get to, to live on mission for Christ, which is awesome. But when you go from this place, young people hear me right now, when you go from this place, realize that even on graduation day, you may not have the end goal in mind. You may not know everything that is going to happen. And this is probably true for everybody in here. We don't know what the future holds. I had a student call me a couple weeks ago from, a, from a, a previous place where I served, and he was just saying, hey, I want to do this, I want to do this, but I don't know where to go, I don't know what's next, I don't know, you know what God has in store for me. And the instruction that I gave him and the instruction I give today is just follow God in this moment. You won't have it all figured out. But when he opens the door, take the step. And then the next one, and then the next one. And if it goes through the storm, he loves you. He will be there alongside you. But continue to take that next step forward. You're not going to have it all mapped out. But it's in these moments where he calls for and asks for obedience and our obedience to move forward in those things. And I'll also put a side onto that. Don't step into a lofty position. Don't t- step into a place that is, that is above and beyond that your character cannot sustain you. And many times in life, we go through the storms because that helps develop the character necessary for the next thing that God has for us. We live in a microwave culture now. We live in a place where we want it right now. In 30 seconds or less, I want to have everything right before me. I want to sit down and I want to enjoy my meal. But that's not how it works with Christ. That's not how it works with relationships. Sometimes we have to go through the desert to develop the character that is necessary for what God has planned. Question beyond that is, God, what do we do when we're in the place of storm? God, what are you up to in my life? And the question we should ask is, how do we learn from these times in the storms? 
The question becomes, in the midst of the furnace, will God stay on the throne of your heart? Or will you rely on self? Will you rely on stature? Will you rely on wealth or any number of things? Let's get back to David. And here, here's the thing. Through the, through this, the, the, the time that, that David trained in the desert, he was prepared to be the king. He was prepared through that time that he spent with God. And because of that, he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant He wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the city. He wanted to bring it to a place where it could dwell and where it could indicate here, here's here's the only thing that we have that kind of shows that God dwelled with us, his people. A place where they could bring everything together and celebrate. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we're going to read about this journey of David and his men bringing the Ark of the Covenant It says in verse 1, David again brought together all the abled young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. Yuza and Ohio, and let me just say this for those of you who've never been to southern Ohio, this is how you pronounce Ohio. In southern Ohio, Ohio. It's very biblical. Sons of Abinadab were guiding the new cart with the ark of, the, of God on it. And Ohio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all the might before the Lord. And there was a six-piece band there. They were celebrating. They had all this music. And verse 6 says, When they came to the threshing floor of Achan, Yuza reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. And let's pause here for just a minute. If you are an Old Testament scholar, you know this was not the right way to transport the ark. In fact, what they were doing here seemed convenient. It seemed easy. Matter of fact, it was like, okay, let's work smarter, not harder, right? And so we'll just take the ark and throw it up on here. The real way to do it, the way that God intended, the way that we were supposed to respect the ark was was supposed to be carried with poles and not touched, but carried with poles by priests who were were, uh, anointed and, and, and had the proper sacrifice to even be in the presence of the ark, to be able to control the ark's destination. And so the fact that it was thrown on this cart already showed that David had a, a, a different goal in mind. I don't know if you have noticed, but I have noticed for the past week, there are a lot of piles of trash on the curb in town here, right? Anybody else notice that? Let me just say, for me and um, for Pastor Dave Hopewell here at the church, this is the, the final and greatest frontier. Because it is that this week, is it this week that we become modern-day treasure hunters. And for those of you who enjoy sitting in your living room, putting something out, sitting in your living room, and watching somebody come and pick up these items that you cherish so much and decided to donate to somebody else, I say thank you. Because, first of all, right now, the collection of, of Christmas lawn ornaments I have on my porch is immaculate. And I'll have it for the week, I can tell you right now. But second of all, it's an enjoyable opportunity for Dave and I just to drive around and have some fun and see some of the things that are out there. And I remember last year more than this year because it was a a better season for it, just loading up Dave's truck, just taking everything we could find and loading it up. And we get to a point where we thought it was full, but then we see that next item. It's like, if we go back and drop this off, I don't know that that will be there when we get back. 
So it was all about heaping that next thing on there. It was all about getting as much on there. And there were several times when I can remember we had to navigate a route where there was no bumps, where there was no railroad tracks because we did not want these things to jostle and to fall off because they were treasures. And I'll say this right now, my wife, uh, Cherie, and, and Dave's wife, Heidi, they are, they are fine for us to do this as long as we want to because they know at the end of the week that most of that stuff is going back out. And so if you drive by my house now and look at the front yard, I say thank you because that's your stuff right there. But as we piled these things on there, there's many cases where Dave would have his arm out the back window holding on to the items. I would sometimes have to almost lay on top of it to steady these things, to get them on there. We were following every shortcut we could to try to get all, the, all this cool treasure uh, to the, from point A to point B. And as I look at this, in many cases, we'd be gritting our teeth just trying to get through the process to the end. Now, David had gone through the desert. He knew the power of the process, but it was almost like he forgot about it in these moments because his goal was to get the Ark of the Covenant from point A to point B. And so his thought was, I'm just gonna throw it on the back of this trailer right here and we're gonna get it there as quick as we can. And I think sometimes what we do is we come upon a storm in our life and instead of trying to do it properly the way that God would have us in the obedient manner, what we try to do is just grit our teeth and get through it as quick as we can. And the saddest thing about that is in most cases, in the time of the storm when we're in the desert, that is when we can grow the most. And we get from point A to point B, but we learned nothing. We were developed in no way. And in this case right here, David, he sees the error of his way. And we continue on. I'm going to pick up, um, uh, let's pick up where I left off. Here we go. Yep. So the next point is this. A heart for God is, is tempered by a teachable spirit. David understands and realizes that he, he, there was an error in his way. And so the, the, the first thing when he realizes there's a failure is to ask and to question what to do now. For those of you who are, who are graduating now, maybe looking for jobs, I don't know where you're at uh, in, in the scheme of, of, of doing this thing called adulting, but in any, any place that you go to look for help in finding a job, any website that you visit that talks about um, you know, j- just putting together your resume, in all of those, they're gonna give you top 10 lists of, of what employers are looking for. And one of the main things to understand is on all of those top lists and on, on all those top 10 lists, there's one main thing that, that, that they're all looking for, and that is teachability, a willingness to learn. Employers don't want someone that knows everything because they don't know that they don't know everything. And so it's in this place right here that David realizes that he needs to be teachable. Although he's learned, he continues forward. And verse 7 says, The Lord's anger burned against Yuza because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Good intentions do not cut it with God. God must be revered and obeyed. Good intentions do not cut it with God. God must be revered and obeyed. I think I see a lot of times in the lives of students that I work with and even with some uh, people that I come in contact with that we have good intentions, but a lot of times there's, there's no meat to it. There's no willingness to learn. There's no willingness to follow God. What we do in our lives sometimes is we put you know, God on the throne of our relationships at home. 
Or we put God on the throne of how we interact with our boss, but we, we don't allow God to be on the throne of our finances. We don't allow God to be on the throne of our interaction with our, with our coworkers or our employees. Or we don't allow God to be on the throne of how we interact with our children. And there's two main problems here. Number one is we, we compartmentalize our lives and, and we don't understand that there's, there's, there's only one throne. There's not all these different thrones. If God is not on the throne of all those, so to speak, things, then he's not on your throne. And the second thing is this. If God is not on our throne, if God is not reigning on our throne, then that's going to impact every area of our life. Not just the, the, the one or the two or the three places that we have him. Church, is Jesus sitting on your throne is Jesus Lord of your life? Verse 8 says, Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. And in verse 9 it says, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? And let me repeat that. How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? How can I ever be in this holy place? How could I ever come back from, from this situation? And the questioning, the, the thought process here of David reveals that he is still teachable. We, you see, we can't, we can fool uh, other people. We can fool uh, ourselves even at times, but we can't fool God. And David knew this. David understood this. David was willing to, to step forward. A teachable heart is transparent before God. A teachable heart is one that is transparent before God and allows God to see in every area and every window of our lives. Verse 10 says, uh, he, will not be willing, he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. With those who were carrying the ark of the Lord and had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. God had blessed this. God had blessed the, the, this, 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 uh, this time of, of, of sacrifice, this time of anointing. And David wanted the ark more than ever. And do not miss the subtlety of this passage right now. The ark was carried at that point. David realized the error of his ways and he determined and discerned in this case it was time to carry the ark the way that God had intended it to be carried in the first place. A heart after God is teachable. And teachability also requires action. Now let's kind of move towards something else that we see in this passage. The second part of it is this, that David was celebrating. David was worshiping. He was passionate and excited about God. And this idea of worship arises. A heart uh, for God is zealous in worship. A heart for God does not just sit still or, 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 or remain by itself. Instead, a heart for God is in movement. It loves God and it wants to show other people this love for Christ, this love for God that it has. He went all in. The thing about worship is worship is all or nothing. 
It's not something that we just try every once in a while. It's not something that we do in certain uh, contexts or certain areas, but worship is all or nothing. But the problem with worship in some cases is we worship the wrong thing. We worship things, we put other things on the throne that are not God. And the sad thing about that is sometimes we even worship things that are good, but they're not best. Working with students and families, a lot of times or sometimes I'll see parents that put their student, put their child on the throne. And they worship good things. They worship their children, which are great. And don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't love our kids. We shouldn't love people. But what I'm saying is that God should be number one. God should be on the throne. And the way that we interact with our child should be an outpouring of our love for God and the fact that we allow him to dwell on the throne of our heart. And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, attendance to church. I'm not talking about how we interact with kids. I'm not talking about having them travel all over the place. What I'm saying is this. Whatever whatever dictates your decisions is what you worship. Whatever dictates how you spend your time, your energy, is what you worship. If you worship God, that's going to dictate how you act and how you interact with other people. Worship is a wholehearted, whole life devotion to God. Worship is more than a song. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is who we are and and, and how we interact. Worship uh, occurs at the intersection of our faith and real life. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's not just in the house of the Lord on Sunday morning when we come and we worship together through song. Worship is something that is done in every moment, in every area. A heart for God um, is zealous in worship. It acknowledges God and honors God in every area of life. But here's the thing, not everyone is going to understand. When we reference back to David's story here, he's coming in, he's worshiping, and Israel is there, the, the whole nation, they're excited about what's happening. But 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16 says, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. When you continue with verse 20 and 22, we see this interaction between Michal and David and about how she believes that he should be living this this royalty lifestyle. She was really into image management, right? There's a specific way you're supposed to act. And David said, no, I don't have anything to do with that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And verse 22 says, I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes because it's not about me. A lifestyle of worship like John the Baptist in the Bible is like this. When someone comes to you to ask about Jesus, ask about the Messiah, you don't say, yes, here, you know, here's, here's who I am, here's what I'm about. No, you point to Christ and say, I'm not him, but there he is. And you do that through your lifestyle, through your actions. David was completely humbled. And here in life, some people just aren't going to understand. They're not going to understand the decisions They're not going to understand the things you're talking about or the way that you live with joy in a world where there's brokenness, where there's pain, or in a time when you're walking through the desert, but you still have joy. So I have two life application questions, and then I'm going to be done. The first one is this. Will you live a life that is undignified 
in the Lord? These two questions have fill in the blanks in them, both of them, and I'm gonna give you that answer. But you see at the end of the question, there's a question mark, and that part is for you to fill out. My, my encouragement, my challenge for you is to think through these questions and, and to make your decisions and, and to look at them scripturally and maybe to discuss them over lunch today with your family and friends or maybe throughout the week with your small group or maybe you talk to somebody at work, but these questions are for you to answer. The first one, who will, who will you live a life that is undignified in the Lord? A, a person willing to be caught up in God's glory, a living sacrifice for him. Maybe for you it looks like making a decision uh, at your job that might seem unpopular or a mystery to why you would do that in this world. Maybe it looks like praying before a meal in a public place. Maybe it looks like even here in the house of the Lord, raising your hands during a song with reckless abandonment and saying, God, take my, take my all. Allow me, Father, to be in connection with you. Allow your spirit to indwell within me here in this moment and beyond. Maybe for you it looks like making a financial decision that seems totally out in left field to the people that know you best, but you do it because God's calling you. Maybe it looks like supporting missions in some way or, or, or supporting parachurch organizations or someone else that, 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 is, that, is, that is stepping forth in, 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 in their own understanding of who Christ is as they share the gospel with others. The second question is this. Who's on the throne of your heart? Who is on the throne of your heart. Something or someone is on the throne of all of our hearts. And let me just say this. This is obviously, uh, this is my first time speaking and many of you are sitting back and you're like, okay, you're kind of doing the scorecard. You know, Pastor Steve, I'm giving you a 10 for wardrobe and if that's the case, you can give that to my wife because she dresses me. Um, but maybe you're giving me like a six for my new haircut and you're giving me like a five for presentation. I hope that this morning that that is not the case. I hope this morning that you're not focused on the vessel, but instead you're focused on the message and what the Holy Spirit is asking right now. And that question is clearly, who is on the throne of your heart? Because all of us as individuals, all of us as people have a throne of our heart. And at some point in our lives, and probably multiple times, we need to decide who is on there. And only you can decide for you. The decisions we make today drastically affect our future. I'm going to close with this illustration. Earlier, I was telling you guys about that first church that I served at. And the church that I served at and the town that I lived in were separated by two, or they're separated uh, by one, one, one bike path that was, uh, used to be a, a railroad track, and it was separated by just a small bike path. And I remember I lived in the town, and I worked at the church, and so I would walk back and forth uh, to work. And I remember spending that time in prayer each day. And I remember as I would walk back and forth, I would ask God, you know, God, why are you allowed this to happen? Why are you, why are you, you know, having me move on from this place? I remember one day stopping on a bridge. And as I stopped on the bridge, I looked up and I, and I just cried out to God, God, I want to serve here. I, w I want to, to continue in what you're doing here. Why have you allowed this to happen? And as I looked down, something you wouldn't necessarily think would be too uh, weird to be, to be laying on an old railroad track, I found this spike. And something changed within me. Because it was at that moment where I realized and I saw the, 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 the metaphor, the illustration, the, 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 maybe the sample size that, that God sent his son Jesus and Jesus already went through that desert experience. 
Jesus already experienced the nails that I would never have to experience. And when I go through the desert, I can rest assured that if God is on the throne of my heart, that I'm not alone. But Jesus is there to walk me through it, to develop me, to help me, to know and grow in him. And in those cases, that process is a time to be more like him. This morning, I want to conclude with this one question one more time as before we sing. Who is on the throne of your heart?